would to turn in your Bibles to the book of Luke this morning. Luke chapter 13 is where we're going to be today. I want to invite you to take your outline out. You'll see there's some, some outline blanks there for you to fill in. Uh, we're going to begin a journey today, a journey as we continue through this Lenten season, uh, a journey through the Scriptures where I believe God wants to speak into our lives in a fresh new way. I believe that God has a, a message for us today that is relevant and that is real for us, each and every one of us. And I'm thankful that you're here today. Are you glad you came to church today? Would you say amen? Amen. 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 Uh, Luke chapter 13 is where we're going to be. I want to I read this to you, but I want you to follow along with me. We're going to be in the New Living Translation this morning. Luke chapter 13. I'm going to begin reading with verse number 31. Verse 31. At the time, some Pharisees said to him, Get away from here if you want to live. They're talking to Jesus. Herod Antipas wants to kill you. Jesus replied, Go tell that fox that I will keep on casting out demons and healing, healing people today and tomorrow and the third day. I will accomplish my purpose. Yes, today, tomorrow, and the next day, I must proceed on my way, for it wouldn't do for a prophet of God to be killed except in Jerusalem. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones God's messengers, how often I have wanted to gather your children together as a hen protects her chicks beneath her wings." But you wouldn't let me. And now look, your house is abandoned, and you will never see me again until you say, Blessings on the one who comes in the name of the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. God's word is true, it is active. And this is a passage of scripture you might be thinking, Pastor, what are you going to pull out of this? After Revival Week, how are you going to uh, pull out of this? Well, I'm thankful that I don't have to, that it's God speaking through me. Amen? And so I'm thankful for that. Would you join me? I just need, to, I need, I need that fresh infilling and anointing today. Would you join me in prayer once again real quick? God, we just invite you into this place. We've heard your word proclaimed already. I pray that it would be your word that speaks to us through this message that you would hide me behind your cross, and that you would speak truth into our lives today, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. The story opens with a good guy being wronged by a bad guy. The story continues. There's tension. There's anticipation. There's uncertainty. There's passion and intrigue. There's a love story, but the love story's one-sided. There's, there's threats of death and destruction, promises of threats that can cause fear and suspense, a story of drama, of good versus evil, a story of love and passion, truth versus lies, murder, life versus death. Does that sound like something that you could tune into? Many of us watch these, these dramas unfold in the, on the screens of our living rooms, 
But is this something that would have enough to draw you in? A story that has a little bit of everything. I'm so thankful that God's word is what we're talking about this morning. God's word has every one of these factors right there in it. I don't know about you, but there's times when I'm reading God's word. And, and I told, I, when I was a teenager, we, we went through a, a time in our, in our life, in my dad's ministry there in Lincoln, Nebraska, where we were going through a staff change. And my dad was looking to hire a youth pastor. And, and I had I'd been felt called to the ministry. And so I was really playing, I thought, uh, uh, an integral part of that search process. I was probably committee member number one, even though it wasn't official. <laughs> and nobody ever told me it was official. But I got to be there when we interviewed this new youth pastor, and he came in with his wife. And one of the things he asked me, we were sitting at, at, at dinner one night, and he, he asked me, he said, BJ, you're in the youth group. He goes, "How you're, you're walking with the Lord, I assume. And he didn't really know me, but he said, what do you like to read in Scripture? And this is what I said as a 14-year-old young man. I said, you know what? If I want a good story, I'm going to read the Old Testament. But if I want to hear from Jesus, I'm going to go to the New Testament. That's what I said, 14 years old. Now, I'll tell you this. I, I love it when I open my Bible up in the morning and I never want to put it down. Because it's got all the intrigue. It's got the uncertainty. It's got the drama. It's got the passion. Man, there's parts of the Bible that... It's like, ooh, I don't know if I want my kids reading this. It's pretty graphic. But it's God's word. It's, it's there. It's true. It's alive. It's real. It's active. And in our text this morning, maybe you, maybe you read along with me and you thought, you know what? This is kind of bleh. No. Let's pull out some of this great things this morning from our scripture text this morning. And I want you just to, to follow along with me. We're going to walk through this passage and you're going to see how hopefully God's going to reveal to you how this will come alive and help us still today. There are places in scripture where I can't put it down. The storyline becomes so great. I just want to keep reading. Some of those stories I find in the prophets, the old prophets. And I'll be reading through an old prophet and I'll think, boy, they, they really had it rough. And they, they had a tough job. And, and sometimes I think about the prophets and I think, you know what, the word and the title prophet, it brings a lot of, uh, of responsibility to, to their life. And, and many people here, if we were to take a poll, we would, if we were to define what a prophet is, then we'd have different answers from different people based on our understanding of what a prophet is. And prophet is one of those titles that's used in Scripture, and God used these, these men and these women to, to help get a message to a certain group of people. And, and many times we think of a prophet because a prophet's job was very serious, okay? There were prophets that if their, their message did not come true, they were a false prophet, they were stoned to death. That's pretty uh, pretty serious situation. So there's many people that would say, you know what, a prophet is really telling the future. They're a future teller. They're, they're telling something that's going to happen in the future. And if it doesn't happen, then they really weren't a true prophet. And then we really got an issue here. and We got to take care of that person because we don't want the spreading of a false prophet to really infiltrate our camp. So they would take care of it. But that's really not the, the how we need to describe and understand what a prophet was. So let me back up and let me, let me help us this morning to understand just a simple Simple definition of a prophet, okay? It's in your notes. If you're taking notes, pull that out here. You'll see this real quick. A prophet is a man or a woman of God 
who is called to speak the message of God to the people of God. A man or a woman of God who is called to speak the message of God to the people of God. In other words, they are speaking truth. They are speaking truth because nothing that God would say to this man or woman of God would be anything false. So a true prophet is a man or a woman of God who's speaking the message of God to the people of God. And they're speaking truth. And here's the catch, people. Here's the catch. Sometimes truth hurts. Sometimes truth hurts. So we get around that in our, in, our, in our day-to-day now where we say, you know what, the Bible says to speak the truth in love, and we say, well, I'm just speaking the truth in love, it's what, the God, it's what God tells me, it's what his word says, I'm just, I'm just telling you the truth, but I love you, and we kind of have this backwards thought, and, and I can only speak for myself, I've done this many times, where we end up hurting somebody out of love, speaking the truth in love, when really we're just being mean. Sometimes the truth hurts, and we need to realize that. But truth is the only thing that we really need to be concerned with. Because if we're speaking the truth and we truly love somebody, it's going to come across. Amen? Speak the truth in love, but sometimes the truth does hurt. Here's some examples that I found. Uh, one example in, in Scripture that's, that's very clear where, where truth happened, Nathan in the Old Testament is, is presented with a situation where his, his friend, his leader, his king has committed a great sin. And Nathan has to go and tell David, David, you're an adulterer, you're a murderer, and you're living in sin, buddy. And, and he's a prophet who's going to go to the king and say to the one person of power that could say to Nathan, off with your head. You're done. I have no need for you. And Nathan knows, you know what? I got to speak the truth to my friend and my leader. And Nathan, luckily for Nathan, it turned out okay. Amen? He goes and he shares this with David, and David has a repentive heart. And we, we know the story. David, David comes back and repents of his sin, and, and, and God continues to use him. And Nathan is not stoned for speaking the truth. He's not taking care of at that point. And God reveals David's heart to himself and he sees the wrongdoing and he changes. We even see this beyond the pages of Scripture in our history books. A couple of people that that I want to highlight, there's many more, but Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. speaking truth to a situation in our country of civil rights and equality that is very important. And he took a stand for truth, what's right. Every life matters. Then we think of even going back before him, Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a a voice against the Nazi regime, a a, a total hate hate situation and circumstances, and, and he's rising up speaking life because guess what? Every life matters. And now, even today, we here, even even this coming Wednesday, we have an opportunity to be a voice that speaks truth into situations that are wrong, 
the abortion. And it's just, abortion is not the only thing that we need to stand up for and have a voice for. But we need to speak truth about abortion. We need to speak truth about homosexuality. We need to speak truth about sex trafficking. We need to speak truth, get this, we need to speak truth about lying and cheating and gossiping. We need to speak truth about every single sin that's there. But so many times we get so trapped into these things that we're passionate about that we rise up and be a voice for that. But the reality of it is, is there's so much other stuff that's still true that we should fight just as strong for. But sometimes the truth hurts. Sometimes the truth hurts. And in our passage of Scripture this morning, it's very clear that there's an opportunity to speak some hard truths. There's some places when we have to face some hard realities. I want us to look a little bit closer at this text this morning and see what the Lord's going to show us as we shine His light into our lives this morning. So the first thing I want us to see is some of the hard truths that Jesus faced that we faced. Hard truth number one that Jesus is facing is Herod is trying to kill Jesus. Verse 31, we see the intrigue and the suspense start. The Pharisees come to him and say, get away from here if you want to live. Herod wants to kill you. You see, here's the, here's the really neat thing about this situation. This is really... need a Kleenex sometimes, you know. Um, here's the really embarrassing thing about this for the text, is that Herod is the same king and ruler that beheaded John the Baptist, okay? At this point in the story of Jesus, we don't see any power person speaking out boldly against what Jesus is doing yet, okay? So it's just the Pharisees, it's just the church leaders that are really setting out to get Jesus. The church leaders are so sick and tired of being tested by Jesus because they're trying to test him that they've tried to question him, didn't work. They try to, they try to trick him, didn't work. So now they try to do a different thing and they try, to, they try to present care and compassion as a friend to Jesus who is not their friend. And they say, you know what, Jesus, you've been doing all these miracles, you've been, you've been stirring up all these people and we don't want anything bad to happen to you. So we want to warn you, Herod wants to kill you, so you need to get out, get out of here. You need to flee from here. Um... That's, that's odd. And I'm sure Jesus wasn't caught off guard by that. He obviously wasn't because he faces this hard truth with a response. He, he is facing a death threat, death threat, a serious death threat. And some scholars believe that the Pharisees were we're lying to him because we have no proof that Herod has ordered Jesus to be killed yet. We have no proof of that in, in history or in Scripture. So there's some people that think that the church leaders, the Pharisees, are, are actually lying to Jesus. Can you believe church people would lie? So there's some scholars that, that fit into this camp. So we got, a, we, got the, we got lies versus truth here. We've got death versus life. You see, there's just some tension here. The hard truth is that Herod's trying to kill Jesus. He has a death threat. In other words, Jesus, if you go into Jerusalem and you continue to do the work that you're doing, somebody's going to kill you for it. 
It's a hard truth that he's facing. But Jesus faces this hard truth with a response that shows he will face the hard truth and keep moving on towards his purpose. Verse 32, Jesus replies, Go tell that fox that I will keep on casting out demons and healing people today and tomorrow. And the third day, I will accomplish my purpose. So the hard truth number two is Jesus' purpose was going to be fulfilled. It's true. Verse 32, we just said it. In three days, he's going to fulfill his purpose. He continues to repeat that purpose. I must proceed on my way. You see, Jesus was on a mission. He was on a mission that was going to be fulfilled. He was going to complete his call. In the New Living Translation, it says, I must proceed on my way. But here's a couple different translations. I want you to hear these phrases because they use different, different words here to express the same thing. And one of these might mean something more for you than another. But here's what the New American Standard Bible says. It says, I must journey on. The NIV says, I must press on. The King James says, I must walk. And the message, I like the message uh, translation because it says this. It says, Jesus says these words, I'm wrapping things up. The original Greek word that's used here in the simplest terms means went. It's the same word that we use, went. And, and what that means is it, it really is the way, is the way that the Greek says it and translates it, is the way. In other words, Jesus says, I must go on the way. What is the way? The way is his purpose, his destiny. He is on a mission that will not be stopped. And he says, I must keep going. I must press on. I must keep walking. I must go and face death. It's a hard truth. But the hard truth is his purpose was going to be fulfilled. Jesus was going to do what he said he was going to do. He is going to do what God sent him to earth to do. And he knew he had to face the truth of possibly being killed to fulfill his purpose. The truth hurts sometimes, but we must face the truth. The third hard truth that we must see today is that Jerusalem, the people of God, are lost. Verses 33 and 34, for it wouldn't do a prophet of God, for it wouldn't do for a prophet of God to be killed except in Jerusalem. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones God's messengers. You have to understand something about Jerusalem here. Jerusalem isn't just some megacity. It isn't just some metropolis that's full of life and, and bustle and, and hustle and, and just a, a big, it's not like for us to go to Springfield or Chicago or St. Louis. It's not like that, okay? Jerusalem is the city, okay? It's got all of that. It's got all the amenities and it's got all the people and it's got all the, the craziness going on, but it also is the key place for all of the religion, all of the business, all of the government, Everything that matters in that culture happens in Jerusalem. And Jerusalem also represents the nation of Israel. 
the people of God. If you go back, this is why, this is why I love Old Testament, New Testament. This is why I'm a Christian, okay? If you, this is extra. This is free. Because the Old Testament comes alive in the New Testament. We can marry the two together because they're meant to be. Amen? That's good stuff. That's a whole other message. Jerusalem represents God's chosen people. And Jesus realizes, as he's looking over the city, he realizes, Jerusalem, you are so far gone. You are so far gone. I've tried so long. You are so far gone. You are lost and you don't even realize it. You are, you are trying to, to, to manipulate the situation to get me out of here, but really, I'm right here. I'm the prophet that you need the most. I'm right in front of you speaking truth into your life, and you can't even see it. You are lost. You are blind. You are broken. You are dead. And it's God's chosen people. The hard truth that Jesus is facing here is that this is his first love. We can trace this all the way back to Adam and Eve. When God created man and woman, he put them in the garden. And what was happening in the garden? It was God's perfect plan. They were communing with God. They were talking with him. They were walking in the cool of the day. Wouldn't that be nice? Wow. I wish we wouldn't have messed up. Then we would have been Live in the dream, amen? But <laughs> we're here. Jesus is there. <laughs> he knows his ministry as we know it is coming to an end. He knows his mission needs to be fulfilled. He knows that his time is short and he knows that his people, his original people, are lost are lost. The hard truth is that Jesus is freely willing to extend more grace, but the people in the city will not have it. Matthew Henry writes this about, his, about this passage. He says, Christ's willingness aggravates sinners' unwillingness and leaves their blood upon their own heads. Can you imagine that? Christ is so willing to help them and it aggravates them, it annoys them that he's so willing and so, so just, he just wants it so bad and it aggravates them that finally he's, he's realizing your death, your blood is on your own heads. That's a hard truth. But the truth is hard to face sometimes. Jesus faced some hard truths, but I also want us to see the hard reality that's taking place in these truths. Hard reality number one is that Jesus is weeping over a deep love. He weeps over a deep love. Verse 34, let's read it again. It says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones God's messengers. How often I wanted to gather your children together as a hen protects her chicks beneath her wings, but you wouldn't let me. In other words, God has been longing to draw us to himself. 
He continues to, I can just, just picture this with me. If you see, you see a hen with their chicks and they, they, they tend to, once they're trained and they get understanding, they follow along and they, they stay in step, but you get that one that just wanders off. And you've seen the cartoons or maybe you've raised them and you see it happen and they, they wander off and what's the hen do? The hen goes over, corrals them back in line and gets them all straightened out. And then they keep going. They car- and then, you know, must be, chicks must have ADD too or something. I don't know. They just get hyperactive. Oh, you know, let's go here. Let's go here. And that hen just keeps bringing them off. Why? Because there's foxes out there. And the hen knows it. The mother knows that there's foxes out there. And what's a fox do? A fox preys on the chicks. A fox wants to come in and destroy the chicks, kill the chicks, kill the life out of them. And the hen knows that and says, come on, come on. And what God is saying to his people is, from the beginning, I have been trying to get you to see that I want you to be close to me. I want you to desire me as much as I desire you. I want you to come in to the protection of my wings because I'm the only thing that can protect you from yourself and from the foxes. And we get off on our little rabbit trails and that hen just wants, come on, Jerusalem, come back. BJ, come back. And he wants to gather us in. But he says, you've always pushed me out. And Jesus is weeping over a city. This, this language, Jerusalem, oh Jerusalem. I thought, you know what, this is pretty cool because there's a couple different places in Scripture where Jesus does this, where he speaks the name twice. Martha, Martha, Simon, Simon, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. But here's one thing I didn't realize until this week as I was studying it. Right here in this original language, Jerusalem is used three times in a row. It's the only place where the same word is repeated that many times in a row. Now, we, in our English understanding of the Bible, have separated it by these verse numbers, but he ends the last sentence with Jerusalem, starts the next one, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. Three times he says the same name. If Jesus says something three times in a row, we probably want to pay attention. This language signifies a stressful relationship. It made me say, well, duh. Have you ever been in a relationship that was stressful? You don't have to answer that. (laughs) Have you ever been in a relationship where one party of the relationship loved the other party so much that it annoyed them so much that they finally just said, Sick and tired of your love. Get away from me. Have you ever, you know what I'm talking about? I'm not proud of this, but I just have to tell you so you can understand what I'm trying to say, okay? I was, I was seeing this girl once, and uh, she liked me way more than I liked her. She came over to my house one night, and I'm just like, you go sit on the other side of the couch. I'm just, stay over there. Uh, and it got so bad that I just said, I don't want to be around you anymore. And she wasn't bad. She loved me. She wanted to be with me. She wanted to spoil me. She wanted to take care of me. And I was like, get away from me, lady. <laughs> so some of you have been there. You, you know what I'm talking about. Now I'm thankful that I have a wife 
who said, you know what? You're such a catch. I don't want to wait for a year to get married. We need to do it now. Don't shake your head no. You know that's true. <laughs> and I said, that's right. I want to be with you too. No, it was a mutual thing. But this love story in Scripture is not mutual. It's, it's one-sided. You see, Pastor Greg and I were talking this morning. A covenant relationship is a bond. It's a deep relationship between two parties that go both ways. There's a covenant. There's you do this, I do this, we come together. It's marriage. It's, it's united. It's covenant. It's special. And God had a covenant relationship with the nation of Israel. A covenant relationship where he said, you are my people. I want you to come close to me and to love me the way that I love you. But thankfully, we don't serve a God that forces that on us. And the nation of Israel said, you know what? I'm tired of this covenant. I'm going to live for myself. I don't love you like you love me. And it causes Jesus, the Son of God, at the end of his, his ministry, he's, he's nearing the end and he knows that his whole purpose was to come and to teach the people of God the message of God. And they won't have it. And Jesus is literally weeping over his first love. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you don't get it. You are lost. But it goes even deeper. The second hard reality is that he says, you will never see me again. Verse 35, and now look, your house is abandoned and you will never see me again until you say, blessings on the one who comes in the name of the Lord. There's two different meanings here. And if you read this passage in Matthew's gospel, when he's talking about the same text of oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, it's the second time it's happened. I didn't realize that till this week too. We, we read that text when Jesus is about to enter in to Jerusalem on the donkey, Palm Sunday, the triumphal entry, and he weeps over the city. And this, this time in Luke's gospel, it's before that. And, and in Matthew's gospel, it says, at the end of that text, it says, he said this again. So it happened a second time. This is the first time. And Jesus is weeping over this city. And we need to realize, he says, you will not see me again until you say, blessed are those who come in the name of the Lord. What he's referring to is two different things, okay? So we got to catch this. This is, that, this is that deep biblical stuff that many of you probably don't care about, but I'm going to tell you anyway, okay? There's two meanings here. The first one is this. He knows that he's coming back Palm Sunday. And they're going to see him, but he also knows that his ministry's over. At that point, he's going to be the same Jesus that they're going to usher in and exalt as king. They are not going to hear another message of truth from him. They are not going to hear an opportunity to trust in him. They're going to worship him one Sunday, and a few days later, the same people that are worshiping him are going to put him on trial. The same people that are worshiping him are going to crucify him. The same people that are worshiping him are going to put him in the tomb. And the same people that are worshiping him will never see him again. Wow. So he's, he's predicting the future. He's telling what's going to happen because when he rides in on the donkey, they're going to say that. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And they do. They say it. I'm not. Here's a <laughs> spoiler alert. A few weeks down the road, we're going to have Palm Sunday, and that's what you're going to hear. You're going to hear that same message again. 
But here's the second reason Jesus says it. He's weeping over a deep love because he knows that if they are lost and they don't get it, it's not just a few days later when he's coming into the city. It's for eternity. It's for eternity. And he's weeping over the city, over these people that he loves so dearly because he, he knows that they're not getting it. Jerusalem, oh Jerusalem, you will never see me again. The Bible is very clear. It says that one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. How is it possible that not everyone will make it to heaven if every knee will bow and say, Jesus, you are Lord? Because there's two different ways that people are going to say it. Christians everywhere are going to fall on our knees at that glorious appearing and we're going to say, oh, I love you. I'm so thankful I've been living for you. I worship you. You are the God. You are my Lord. I'm so thankful. And then we confess with our mouth that he is Lord and he is faithful and he's been faithful all along. And we confess with our mouth and we're on bended knee in worship. And the second way is people are going to get to Judgment Day and they're going to see <laughs> the division, the Christians and the non-Christians. They're going to see what the parting of the, it's going to be a new parting of the Red Sea. And they're going to see those that have trusted are going to eternity with God and those who haven't are going to eternity in hell. And they're going to fall on their knees out of desperation and say, God, it's true. It's true. I'm so sorry. You are the Lord. You are the king. And I have not trusted you. I'm so sorry. But it's too late. It's too late. And Jesus realizes it. And he's weeping over these people. They're going to be separated from him. His first love is never going to see him again. Their hope is gone. And Jesus knows it. A hard reality that there will be those that miss out. Miss out on the Messiah. Miss out on the living God. The hard reality is that time was running out for Jerusalem. But I believe <laughs> that God has given this message this day because we still have hope. We still have hope. Until he comes again, we still have hope. If you haven't trusted Jesus, if you haven't bowed your knee and confessed with your tongue that he's Lord of your life, you still have a chance. You still have a chance. And guess what? If you haven't done that yet, Jesus is weeping over you. He's weeping. Please get this. He wants you to spend eternity with him. He's weeping over you. Can you just get this? I love you so much. I just want to draw you in and protect you. And he's weeping over you. But Jesus calls us to weep as well. He calls us to face some hard truths, some hard realities. I wanna, I wanna conclude with this reminder of the journey that we're on today. Lent is a time of confessing and seeking 
the Word of God in our lives. But when we do that, I'm here to tell you that you may find some hard truths. He's also got some hard realities that you're going to have to consider. I don't know what your hard truth that you may be facing today is or what hard reality you're facing. Maybe it's, maybe it's fear. Maybe it's anxiety. Maybe it's that you just you struggle to trust God with everything that you have. Maybe, maybe you're struggling with, with problems that, that you don't know the answers to and there's uncertainty and you just don't know how to just give it over to God and trust him with it. And you're facing the hard truth that you don't know the answer. Maybe you're facing a hard situation in your family. Relationships are strained. Marriages are strained. And you don't know what the end game is. But all you can do is trust in him. Pastor, I don't know what else to do. I don't know what else to do. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will direct your paths and make them straight. Hard truth is that life is hard. Relationships are hard. <laughs> the truth is that God loves us. He wants to help us. Maybe the hard truth that you're facing today is a spiritual truth, that you haven't trusted him with your life, that you haven't turned it over to him. You haven't said, God, I need you in my life. And he's weeping over you today. The hard reality that if you don't choose to accept that gift is that you could spend eternity apart from him. He will look at you on judgment day and say, apart from me, I do not know you. I don't want that. I don't want that. He's weeping over you today. There's some here today that have faced hard truths themselves. They've settled the question you're doing your best to live for God and trust him. But you've heard over and over this week that God has more for us. He has more for us. God has a purpose and a plan. One of those hard truths that we have to face is that he wants us to fulfill our purpose. He wants us to keep moving forward, to keep pressing on. Why did Jesus do that? One, because he loves you. Two, because he wants you to do it too. Press on, keep going, wrap things up. The same applies for us today. Jesus weeped over the lost souls that he faced. He mourns for the people that do not accept him. And I think there's times where we lose sight of that reality. That Jesus is weeping over those that are getting away. But then it causes me to ask the question today. Who are you weeping for? Who are you weeping for? If Jesus is so wrapped up in lost souls and making sure they get it and, and bringing all the chicks in under the protection of his wings, are we doing the same thing? Who are you weeping for? Who are you crying out Jerusalem, Jerusalem, and you call them by name because you're weeping for them because their relationship with God is strained. Does it break your heart? If not, it should. 
Jesus grieved the lost souls. He was stressed and he was weeping because they were nearing the end of their chance. Jerusalem lost their hope. It's not the case for us today. We still have hope. We still have time. Is Jesus weeping over you? And who are you weeping over today? I'm gonna ask our praise team to come back up and we're gonna sing a song of invitation because I have two different invitations that I feel the Lord has given me today. The first one is very personal. You're probably, you could be sitting there today and you may be facing a hard truth or a hard reality. One of those areas of your life has just been a struggle and you don't know how things are gonna end up. And you've been trying to do it in your own strength and your own power. And the hard truth and the hard reality today is that you just need to lay it down. You need to just give it fully, surrender it to God. He wants to take it. He wants to take you under his wing and help you. Maybe there's another personal invitation. Maybe you haven't bowed your knee and confessed with your mouth that he's Lord of your life. You still have hope. Jesus is weeping for you, but as soon as you make that decision, he goes from weeping. The Bible says that when when one lost soul comes home, there's a party in heaven. He goes from weeping and mourning over you to dancing and shouting with joy because you've come home. Maybe you're out there today and Jesus is weeping for you. And you need to come and pray and trust him with your life. The second invitation is this. Who are you weeping for? Who are you weeping for? This isn't about church growth. This isn't about multiplication of the church or packing this place out for Easter. That's not what this is about. This is about taking as many people to heaven with us that we can. Who are you weeping over? Who are you losing sleep over? Who are you praying for? Who are you mourning over because they just don't get it? Today's the day. We win these battles in prayer. We win these battles on our knees. We're gonna sing this song. We're gonna sing it through one time. If you wanna come and pray, I wanna invite you to come and pray. Would you stand with me? We're gonna sing this song, and then we're gonna pray together. I have a maker. He Oh, 
each tear that falls and hears me when I call. We're going to sing this song, this chorus one more time through. He knows your name. He created you. He has a purpose for you. He has a purpose for me. We don't want to miss that today. Is he calling your name? Is he weeping over you or is he asking you to weep over somebody else? We're going to sing that chorus one more time, then we're going to pray. Come if you need to pray. together with those that have gathered. For the rest of us, would you just bow your heads and close your eyes? God's doing business today. We want to give him that freedom. Let's pray together. God, thank you for your perfect plan. Thank you for sending your son to this earth to face some hard truths. And with those hard truths came some hard realities. God, I pray that today as we've, as we've heard from your word today that we realize that we were a part of your plan. You knew us before we were even born. You knew what our purpose was before we even accepted you. But you never stopped calling us to yourself. You never stopped drawing us in. You never stopped weeping over us. God, I pray that there's those here today that you're weeping over. I pray they would trust you today. That they would bend their knee and confess with their mouth that you are Lord of their life, that they would confess their sins and turn from them and turn to you. I pray if there's anybody here today that they can pray that prayer, receive that free gift today. God, there's many of us here today that have done that in our own lives and we're walking with you the best we can and we're praying for more of you each and every day and we're, our appetite has changed and God I know for myself you've changed my appetite to be more focused on those that I need to be weeping for those that are missing it God you know them by name and you've put their name on my heart you've put their name on our hearts today Folks, if you're out there and God's put a name on your heart, I pray that you would just lift their name up right now in the quietness of your heart. Or if you want to say it out loud, I pray that 
We're going to pray for prodigals today. God, we lift up our prodigals to you. We weep over them. We cry over them because there's not much time. We don't know when it's going to come, but we know, God, that they don't know you. God, we want them to know you. God, I pray that you'd give us opportunity to speak truth, to speak love, to speak life into their lives. And as we're faithful and obedient to your calling on our life, you are faithful and true to forgive their sins and to accept them in. God, we're trusting you today for prodigals. We're trusting you today to change hearts and lives. We're trusting you today for truth and reality. God, go, from, go with us from this place, we pray, and help us to walk in your truth and in your light. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. As you go, be sensitive to those that are still praying. We'll see you tonight.